All right, let's give it up for Jesus today. If you're happy to be in church, come on. Amen. Memorial Day is special to my family and I. We lost my nephew, William Rhodes, a Marine in Afghanistan. So it means a lot to us and our family. My uh, nephew was just like any young man, just doing his thing. But uh, he felt the call to be a Marine and serve our country. And when he went to get trained, one of the things that he called my mother, which was his grandmother for, was to comfort his heart because they were starting to show him the videos of what he would encounter. This was about uh, seven years ago, a little bit after uh, 9-11, and uh, freaked him out because they were showing him the vicious nature of the enemy that's over there. And uh, they're still vicious. They need to meet Jesus in conversion or Jesus in judgment. Amen? And uh, he gave his life over there in Afghanistan as a Marine, and my mom prayed for him and said, God is with you. Go forward. Uh, We can look to the Bible and the Psalms, and we can see encouragement to go to war. There's times to do that. And David was a mighty man of God. He didn't hold a magic wand. He, hold a, he held a sword. And if you've ever seen uh, the 300, that's how they fought back then. And David and his mighty men were like that. But one of the interesting things that I want to bring up is, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral of a lost soldier, uh, especially in a time of battle. Now, both of my grandparents served uh, in World War II, and, and one of them uh, served in the Korean War as well. And even to this day, uh, whenever uh, a soldier is buried, uh, they have the, them come out and do the gun salute. They give the flag and everything. But if you die in the time of war, as Billy did, you get uh, a special kind of funeral. And I don't know if anybody's been to those, but uh, it really brought tears to my eyes, not only just for Billy and what he was going through, I mean, what the family was going through and losing Billy, but the honor that they pay the soldiers. And so in this situation, uh, what it was, was his staff sergeant, maybe one of the many they have there in that platoon, but one of the him, leaves the battlefield with him, accompanies the body on the plane, does not leave the body, brings the body to the morgue, and then stays in that city until it's buried. And then for this one, I don't know if they do it in every place, but this was southern Illinois, uh, they had a horse-drawn carriage bring Billy's body down the, the town road there. And uh, you saw a, a little parade gather and people coming out and saluting those who were veterans as well. And, uh, you know, you just see the honor that is given to our men who serve, and it just made me feel so proud of Billy and that he gave his life for our country. And so I want to say this as your pastor, we love our country. We honor our country. We, we believe that we should pray for our leaders. You may not agree with all of our leadership, but we love this country. And so uh, that's why you'll see some sassy posts, maybe from my dad or from others, and it's like, if you don't like this country, you can leave, you know? And so many of you have come from other countries just like my family did, you know, uh, came from uh, Poland and uh, Italy, came here, and actually my Italian grandfather turned right back around in World War II and went to go fight Mussolini and fascism there. So he valued American culture over the fascism of his homeland. And I know that's what we uh, enjoy in this church as well. And that doesn't mean America is, is perfect by any means. We don't want to whitewash uh, our history. Uh, we don't want to uh, look past the, the neg- negligence or the mistreatment 
treatment of people in the past and all that has happened. But for those of us who are Christians, we need to adopt the laws of the land. We need to obey them. We need to pray for our leaders. And those of you who want to see social change, we can look to the church and how to bring social change. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., Booker T. Washington, before him was a pastor, and many other leaders show us in the church how to do pass, uh, peaceful resistance and bring uh, uh, change. Can I hear an amen to that? And so I know we are a church of, of many different nations and nationalities, and I just wanted to share that with you. And uh, those of you who have uh, served, uh, we want to thank you as well. We know it's not Veterans Day, but we want to thank you. There were some in the first service. And uh, we believe that God uses this nation to send forth his gospel around the world. Still, America is the number one mission-sending nation in the world. So for any other reason, we should say, God bless America. It's so that we can continue to send our Christian children charity and support. And here's some good gospel news. At the end of June, we're going to have our missionaries from Mozambique be with us, Tisa and Jean Nicole. So please make sure you're here and you'll see what God is doing. Can I hear an amen for that? Support our missionaries. All right, so let's go to, uh, amen, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. The Lord has been good to us in this sermon series. I hope that you've been reading the book of Ephesians with us. It has been been an amazing journey for me as a pastor, and we're not even halfway through. We're still on the first part of chapter one, and I can only imagine what it's going to be like in our lives when we get to this end of the book. Uh, probably we'll be a lot older. Maybe I'll be in my 50s when we get to the end of the book of Ephesians. My kids will be graduating high school. I'll be talking about them in college, half kid. But uh, man, I've been gathering so much from this. I hope that you have been getting the goodies from this. Well, today's message is on one of the key components that kind of ties all all of Ephesians together, and it's called God's Mysterious Will. Everybody go, ooh. Okay, so God's Mysterious Will, which we are going to discover here in the book of Ephesians. It's going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, verse uh, 3. If you're there, can I hear you say, I'm there? Okay, so let's look at this passage, and I'll read through it briefly. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in the heavenly realms with every blessing in Christ. There you see in Christ, where we get our sermon series from, in him, for the whole book of Ephesians. And then there in verse 3, praise be to the God and Father. Uh, you see this 14 points that we're getting out of these verses, our mini-series, as it were. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure in what? Will. Everybody say will. Thank you. You're going to see it three times in this passage, four times altogether in Ephesians. So it's very important that we get this concept in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. I'm so glad grace is free. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Here's today's passage. Let's read it together. One, two, three. He may know. 
known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. That is such a key phrase. You'll see why in just a moment. Verse 10, to be put into effect when the time reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, notice that's so important to our sermon series, is that it's all about in Jesus and now about the mystery. The mystery is revealed in Jesus. He is, in other words, our Sherlock Holmes. He's revealed it to us. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So everything's working out for the purpose of his will. Pretty big concept to talk about today in church, right? Kind of about everything. I mean, there's nothing outside of God's will. This is a sermon today about everything. And I've got, what, 20 more minutes to talk about everything. Let's see how fast I can uh, get through this with my Italian, uh, you know, my Italian speed here. Uh, Verse 12, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, and you also were included in Christ. So when were you included? in Christ when you heard the message of truth. Keep reading with me. The gospel of your salvation. One more time. Read with me. When you believed. Okay, so this applies to you. You were included in Christ who reveals the mystery of God when you heard the message and believed who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance unto the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Can I get an amen for that passage? I'm reading through it quickly because I've got so much to share. Here are the 14 things that come from that passage, what I like to call our mini-series in the book of Ephesians, those 14 things that Paul is thankful for. One through six, we've already gone through. They're on our app and online. You can listen or watch them. Today, we're going to be talking about knowing God's mysterious will. And then what do you think we'll talk about next week? unified with Christ, and so on. All the notes are there for you. Well, let me get you these definitions so we can get into the goodies, okay? How many already came here knowing the definition of no? Okay, so let me remind you of it, to perceive and understand. Now, can you know the definition of no if you don't have a knower? No, you got to have a knower to know things, don't you? That's what makes you unique and not an animal. You're made in the image of God. An animal doesn't know that it's an animal, but you know you're a human being, and you know that's an animal. You can do classification. They live on instinct. You live based on knowledge. Now, sadly, some people don't live on knowledge, do they? They live on instinct, which is not the way to live, but most of us here live based on knowledge. How many use your thinker? How many use your knower? Well, guess what? God wants you to use it to know the will of God. We talked about wisdom last week and that we need to have understanding of the wisdom of God. Now you have the command to know God. Know, understand, be wise. The circle is complete to all mental activity. Know is to perceive. Understand is to begin to comprehend. And wise or wisdom, to be wise in something, is to put knowledge and understanding into action. The proper application of knowledge is wisdom. And so you know or learn about something on your job. Let's say it's plumbing. Then you begin to understand and comprehend it. But that's not good enough. You have to then become wise through practice at it to become that apprentice, that journeyman, and that master craftsman, and your that master in that craft of plumbing. And that goes true for all of our lives that we need to know things to understand them to then become wise in them. So knowing 
is attached to our growing. If you want to grow up in life, that means you've got to know things in life. Can I hear an amen? And then you've got to take it from head knowledge to experience. Wisdom speaks of experience. How many of you knew before you had your first job, maybe you were a teenager, but you knew that you needed to save some of that money? But how many of you didn't have wisdom on your first job to ever save money? Some of you like, Pastor, I'm on my 10th job. I'm in my 30s, and I still don't have the wisdom yet. But I'm trying to give the benefit of the doubt that we've matured. How many of you know now how to save? But there was a time, and how many save? You actually do it. But there was a time you only knew it, but you didn't apply it. How many of you before coming to church knew stuff about Jesus, but you didn't live a wise life? Right? So the knowing and the wisdom need a center part in the middle called understanding and application. And that's what makes wisdom possible. Now, the next thing that we learn is that God says he's made known to us the mysterious will. Uh, He's given to us the knowledge of his mysterious will through Jesus. And what mystery means here, mysterion in the Greek, is it literally means something hidden that was revealed. Now, watch this, guys. If you would start in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, and end at Mount. Malachi, you would have a mystery. You would have your CSI show. You would have your Agatha Christie, the Nancy Drew. You would have the Sherlock Holmes. Are you guys with me? Because they didn't know how it was all going to uh, pan out. So take, for example, you're living in the time of Moses. They're killing animals. That's a mystery of how that applies to God. You wouldn't have known that Jesus is going to come die on the cross and be the Passover lamb. You're listening to prophecies in the Old Testament. Now watch this. Here's a mystery. Watch. Tell me if you would have got this without the knowledge of what we have now. Here's the mystery. A virgin is going to bring forth a child. Somebody's going to say, that's not a mystery. That's what my friend tried to get away with when she got pregnant. She said, I don't know how it happened. Maybe I sat on something and I got pregnant. I don't know. I don't know. Well, that was a mystery. Imagine this. You're reading the Bible before Christ has come, and you hear the virgin will bring forth a child. That's a mystery. Here's another mystery they were dealing with. 4,000 years of human history was a mystery, that God would take on flesh. Hold on. Flesh is man. God is spirit. How are those going to come together? If he becomes a man, he's no longer God. Are you listening? And if man becomes God, he's no longer a man. This is what we call the hypostatic union. Some of you are like, that's still a mystery, Pastor. I don't even understand it. Read Philippians chapter 2, the hypostatic union, the joining together of God with flesh. That mystery was revealed. And so what we see is that now in the New Testament, from Paul's time till now, 2,000 years, 27 books of the New Testament Bible, we have the revelation, the insight, the revealing of the mystery of God. Now is... It has been made known. And then everybody say, will. And the greatest thing about the mystery of God is his will. It's why is he doing what he's doing? Why is he allowing Egypt to enslave the uh, Israelites for 400 years? Why is he allowing the Romans to take over the land? Why is uh, the people of Abraham suffering so much? Why are bad things happening to good people? All of these things are the mysterious will of God, but now are revealed to us through Jesus and God. 
guess what? It's not only looking back now that we get to figure out the mystery. It's moving forward from Matthew to Revelation, the last book of our New Testament, Revelation, and we get to see how the party ends. Can I hear an amen? Have you ever read the last chapter of the last book? It's not a mystery anymore of what the will of God is. Now, guess what happens? You and I come to church and we'll say, okay, pastor, I got it. I know now the mysterious will of the Lord, but I only know it when it comes to spiritual things. Everything else God expects me to do and to figure out on my own. He's not going to tell me the mystery of a job or making money, and that's where we miss it. Everything is pertained in the will of God, and he wants you to know everything for his will for your life and all that you do. The will for you to be a husband, a wife, those of you still live at home with your parents, to be the will for you to be a young person, the will for you to start your own business. Yeah, God has entrepreneurship ideas for you to apply to your life. As a matter of fact, every single thing God has for you is in his will, and he wants to reveal it to you. How many want to know those things? Amen. So let's look through these scriptures now carefully and see if I'm just making up stuff or if we're actually supposed to know these things according to his will. Three of these scriptures we've already read, but it's going to be good to read through them a little bit more slowly to catch what they are saying. Look at Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So what do we see? Salvation is his will. Salvation is his will for everybody. What do you need to be saved from? Yourself and the devil. Think about this. Garden of Eden, before the devil ever had authority here, he could only tempt us. We had to make the decision and give him the authority. We became our worst enemies, and he became our accomplished. Do you guys see that? Now Jesus Christ saves us from ourself, the bad decisions we make. And if you don't believe you make bad decisions, just look at your high school yearbook picture and the hairdo and the clothes you wear. You've made some bad decisions. Some of you like, no, I was awesome, Pastor. No, you weren't awesome. Let me look at it, and I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you about that blowout, that fade, or whatever you had. And for me, in my days, it would be the mullet or some dudes with the skater. The skater, like, it looked like a little, like, wave. It would be like, you go to the side, you know. So God wants us to be saved. We get saved from ourselves. Well, if you're not saved from yourself, can you do anything really to please God in his will? You really can't. I mean, every now and then you might use your gifts somewhat for what he wants you to do. Like the Bible says, even the evil fathers know to take care of their children. I mean, you'll stumble upon that in life, and I'm sure you'll, you know, find a gift or a talent that you have and use it to help people. Maybe you like to cook, but you will never truly see the grandiose picture of your life that he wants to paint because all you're doing is just like a three-year-old just, you know, scribbling all over the place until you get saved from yourself, get 20-20 vision, then you can see the beautiful masterpiece that God created you for. Can I hear an amen? Thank you. The next thing that we see in Ephesians 1.9 is that the scripture we have for today is that he made known the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And so now we see, and this is a little theology here, that God became man, God became like us, that man can become like God, that man can become like him. Not ontologically speaking, when we use the word ontology, we're talking about the nature 
nature of something. We are still in nature, human, human nature, but we can be godly in our character as God is in his character. So we're not God, but we're godly. Man, be, God became man that man might become like God, godly. Does everybody get that? God-like. And so this is in Jesus. So what is God-like for us in life? Doing the things that God would do, treating our neighbors as ourselves, being moral, uh, being kind. And we've talked about these things before in other sermons, but it's good to remind us here. Let's say you're a father, but you do it without God's grace upon your life. You have failed in the most important way. Why? Because you never taught your, your children about the life they live after this life. Well, I've provided for them. I've done this. I've done that. And I even put them in baseball practice on the traveling teams. And I made sure they were here. Okay, so you prepared them for 80 years compared to an eternity? You messed up, Bubba. You guys get what I'm saying? You messed up. It's not just, well, I'm just taking them to church and not feed them then. No, you do the basics. Yes, you teach them ABCs, language, communication. You provide a home for them, all of those things. But you also prepare them for the world to come. You prepare them for a relationship for their creator because you're not their creator. Does everybody get that? So even something so simple that people could say, I do this all the time without God. They're not doing it well. And then with the mindset of eternity, it's a failure, right? Uh, if Steve Jobs did not repent, failure in eternal mindset. Failure, failure. Even Mahatma Gandhi, and I've been to India three times, and you think we honor Martin Luther King Jr. here. That is nothing to Mahatma Gandhi there because they love statues in India, by the way. And, I mean, I've seen statues almost the size of the Statue of Liberty. And, matter of fact, India uh, built a statue to one of their politicians. I don't know if we would ever do that here. But they built a politician statue that's three times larger than the Statue of Liberty. That's how much they love statues and honor people there. Well, anyways, if Mahatma Gandhi, did not know Jesus, even though he did his best to bring peace and take away the caste system that the false religion of Hinduism had brought upon them and all of that, he's in hell. Mother Teresa, if she was not born again in a relationship with Jesus, even though she had a Christian worldview that had her put to shame, the karmic worldview of Hinduism, which taught if you're born sick, it's because you're, be you're paying the penalty for a sinful life in the past. That's why we don't help the sick. She came in with a Christian worldview that human value is intrinsic because we're made in the image of God. That's another story. But if she wasn't born again, if I'm not born again and I do all of this, I fail in the in. Does everybody get that? So the idea is you have to be in God's will, in, good, in God's good pleasure in Christ. It has to be in Jesus. My family is in Jesus. I'm doing it God's way. My, my pastoral ministry obviously should be in Jesus. When I buy a new car, it should be in Jesus. All things are to him, through him, and for him. Amen? Okay, this is the other one that we read. In him we were chosen. Now watch this. This is where it kind of expands beyond just the spiritual. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined. Look at this. You have a destiny that's been preplanned. God has already seen your end and then started your beginning. We start things with a beginning in hopes of an end. God starts things at a beginning that he already knows the end too. Let that just blow your mind on the omniscience of God. He's all-knowing. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out how many things? 
everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. This is where we got to stop and answer some tough questions. How does God work out bad decisions? If you were not here, I've already addressed this in the beginning of the book of Ephesians. In the first two verses, uh, Paul says, I'm an apostle by the will of God. Do you remember that? I had a will of God message already. Some of you all ain't nodding your heads, but I know you were here. How many of you remember it? Just come on, try to raise your hand and encourage me. I remember, Pastor. You're my favorite pastor. <laughs> Thank you. I had to close my eyes and tell it to myself, but you're helping me. Thank you, Christina. And you know, the will of God is a bit difficult when we try to incorporate evil into it, but let me all help you with this, okay? The moment a non-believer in God says, I have a problem with evil, they have just showed the idiocy of their argument. I don't mean by idiocy that they themselves are not a smart or intelligent person, and I don't mean to be rude. I just mean to take literally what the Bible says, the fool says in their heart, there's no God, and they don't see the idiocy, the folly of what they said. Because if there's no God, track with me here, and I can defend this all day long. I'm not just preaching it with hot air up here. It's the foundation of truth, and I'll do it with you personally if you want to see me go slow and now like it, and you'll get it. Can I hear an amen? If there's no God, there's no good. If there's no good, there's no evil. So what's your problem? Think of it again. It's really simple. Just get it. If there's no God, there's no good. If there's no good, there's no evil. So what's your problem? An atheist can have no problem with evil because there is no good. There is no objective moral standard. It's not a trickery of words. It's foundation of logic, okay? Three basic principles of logic I don't have to get into, but the law of identity, law of non-contradiction, and the law of excluded middle, all of laws of logic come from there. Your God is logical. Your God is truth. Logos. In the beginning was the logos. That's where they get the word log logic from. Every other word that you learn in things, the theology, biology has the word logo in there for study of truth. Are you with me? Our God is truth. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now just follow this. Follow this right here. No atheist, agnostic, deist can have a problem with evil because without a God, there is no good. So we're not talking to them now. Let's talk to you. Let's talk to Christians. Let's talk to Christians who do believe in a good God, but yet you've seen evil in the world. Here's the three things you need to understand about the will of God. Notes are already there. Hour-long sermons before we cut them down, so it's an hour-long goodie, okay? Number one thing you have to know about God is his prescriptive will. Go to the Garden of Eden. God prescribes what he wants. This is what I want. Y'all naked, having sex, making babies, eating vegetables and fruit. Have fun. How many think that's a good thing to do? I know you're embarrassed to say it in church, but that was God's original plan. Y'all live naked here, and there would be no shame. And the reason why they knew they were only naked after they sinned is because the light bulb went off on the inside. I've always given that example. You don't read the GE on the light bulb when it's on. It's too bright. You only see it when it's off. And so they only saw the glory of God. So you wouldn't have been looking at the body anyway. You would have been seeing creatures as we would see like in sci-fi, glowing, powerful, you know what I'm saying, beautiful in the glory of God. They sinned. Now, Watch this, though. God says, that's my prescribed will. The second thing is he gives free will. At this point, we can all get upset that he did it. Trust me. I've thought through the arguments. He could have did it another way. He could have given us his prescribed will, and then he could have skipped right to his decreative will and made everything happen the way he wanted to. But without free will, you would not be able to love, which is the greatest attribute of humanity. The second greatest attribute is self-identity. You would not be self-defined. You would be programmed defined. Does everybody get that? So in mercy and love, God gives us free will to self-identify and to love. We make 
choices based on that. And if God gives free will, he's going to give real consequences to our decision. What is the consequence of disobeying God and sinning? Curse, death, you know, the curses on what he has given us, and death. And if we give our authority to another one, then we become enslaved to that one. And that's what happened right there at that transition. It wasn't God's will for us to sin. He told us his will. Eat from the tree of life. Don't eat from that life. But he then said, in my free will that I have, I'm going to give you a choice. Now you get to make it. We made the wrong one. And that's when we get to the third part of God's will, which is his consequential will or decreative will. He says, this is what I want. This is what you get to decide to do. And no matter what, I get the last word, do what I want to do. And so how did God create the universe with us to make choices? We made the wrong choice. What are the three main things that then come and anybody taking notes today? Y'all getting, this is, this is like coming on you hot and heavy right now. Three things came as a result of our sin, uh, our original disobedience. Sin, sorrow, sickness. Isaiah 53 says Jesus came to answer all of that. The Christian is the only one that can truly say, yeah, I got a problem with evil, but I got a problem solver. His name is Jesus. The problem of sin solved in Jesus. Problem of sorrow solved in Jesus. Problems of sickness solved in Jesus. Want to put the fourth thing, the problem of a cursed world solved in Jesus. Can I hear an amen? So now just rewind and see it from Genesis and then fast forward to Revelation. So rewind, see it all there as we just did. Now fast forward all the way to Revelation. Everything is restored in Christ. So Christ separates us from the death to the life, the bad decision to the right decision. He's literally called the second Adam. He's the second one in the human nature to make it right being born of a virgin perfect. That's why he had to be born of a virgin. So he would come the same way the first Adam did without any taint of evil in his body and then make not only one right choice but a continual lifestyle of right choices. And by doing so now as a human, he could purchase for us our salvation by fulfilling the justice of God that sin equals death. So he was the sin bearer for our mistakes. He was the sickness bearer and he was the sorrow bearer. Now here's the deal. You didn't get to choose whether or not you would be in a universe where God had his prescriptive free will and decreative will. But you are here now, and you get to make the choice. And here's another thing. You didn't get to make the choice about Adam and Eve to obey or disobey. But now here is your choice. Do I remain in a place of death, and then after 80 years, die? I am in a place of death spiritually, and then die physically and suffer eternity without God under the penalty of death and sin and sorrow and sickness, or do I repent, get born again, experience life internally, whether I die or Jesus comes back, then get raised with him, transformed into a resurrected body, and experience eternal life. Some may say, it's simple. It's life or death. That's what the Bible says. Choose between life or death. Which one do you all want? Amen. Okay, here we go. Everybody say, it's just the introduction. I've got five more things i got to talk about and then ten more things. I'm going fast. My wife's holding me to my time today, okay? <laughs> Ephesians 5.17 says this. Here's where we got to get it, and you got to go back to the notes if you can't get it all here today, okay? Therefore, Paul, same book, Ephesians, will is important to him, right? So he starts off in the introduction, all these things about his will. He gets towards the end of the book, and he's like, hey, guys, let me get your attention here. Don't be foolish, but you better understand what the Lord's will is. 
So you may not be able to say it as nicely or as quickly as I did. I've been doing this 20 years, spent a lot of my time studying it, just like I couldn't go to your job and do what you do, right? That's a difference in gifting, but you should have the knowledge of this. You need to understand Genesis to Revelation and the cross in between. You need to know why we got into this problem, why it was a mystery in 39 books, the Old Testament, Old Covenant, why Jesus came, why that was so significant, what it means now to be in Jesus, to be sealed with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and to live a life with Jesus in his will. So you're supposed to know it. Do you get it? You're supposed to know how everything is working in conformity to the will of the Lord. Now, here's where we get all of these big questions now. You know, we did a funeral for one of our couples that lost a child, and we want to ask that question. And I know maybe you've heard from, like, like humble pastors, or you've seen some show, like, Touched by an Angel, and they said something, like, really deep but stupid, and they're like, we, we just don't know. We just, no, we know. Why does a baby die is the same reason why you die, death came from disobedience. How does God use your death, my death, baby's death for his glory? Those of us in the land of the living learn from death, choose life. That's it. You don't have an option to deny God and to have a problem with evil. You can't have a conversation on logic. So if you're a good person and you're a Christian and you're saying, like me, why does a baby die? You go right to the Bible and you go, sin caused baby to die. Why is sin allowed to cause babies to die? God gave us a free will. We chose wrongly. Now, according to his consequential will, he will work out evil for his good. Now watch this. Watch it. Somebody say, hang in there. Now watch this. Let's say you're a sassy Christian, and you're just like, I don't like that answer. I like the I don't know answer because it sounds more easy. No, no, here's the deal. If you don't like that answer, then you don't understand God. Because to me, the reason why I like that answer is because another part of the Bible by Paul says he works out everything according, uh, for those that he works out, let me just go there, go to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He works out everything for the good, there we go, of those who love him. Can I hear an amen to that? See, this is why it makes sense to me, because watch, I got to keep your attention here. We know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let me give it to you in the King James, how I learned it back in the day, because I, um, I forgot all things there, but I want you to see it in the King James. There it is. And we know that in all things, excuse me, and we know that all things work together for what? For good to them that love God. Okay, now watch this. Let's say you're a sassy Christian and you don't want to love God because you're upset that you had to bury a baby. You had to bury your nephew or me, my sister, or whatever, and you're so upset and you're just like, this is not fair. Here's the problem. What you're saying is is evil is stronger than God, and he didn't have a plan for it. Now it's random evil. Now it's as if the devil gets to do whatever he wants. And you see, now you're living in a world where it's kind of like yin and yang instead of Jesus being God and Lord of all. See, I am comforted through the pain of evil because I know if I'm going through it, it's going to work for my good. And here's the way I heard it said to me, and I totally believe this. We may not know beyond that answer how it does, but we know it does. So why did that baby die and this one live? Literally a little baby right there. Congratulations. Let's give it up for Anna and her beautiful baby. Why does that baby 
It's saying, and don't, you know, and don't even project it somewhere else. Just put it on you. Why did you live in another baby dying in an abortion clinic, okay? I mean, it's the same story. For us, for them, everybody has to deal with death, right? It's one thing about living. We all die. Watch this. As we all can know that no matter what happens, it works for God's good according to his will. How do I think it looks? I think it looks like as I was taught. We see now a picture of a dead baby here, war here. And these things that fill up the tapestry of our life, this person did me wrong here. Dad abused me here. And we see this collage of nothing but all this evil. And we know, if we're going to trust God, that it will work for our good. We're not approving of the evil, never calling it good, never get that confused. It does not say, and we know that because God works out all things for good, that all things are good. Does it say that? No, no, no. Bad things are always bad. That's why there's a hell. Abusers go to hell without Jesus. Are you listening? Satan, for the death and destruction he brought, has no second chance already sentenced to hell for eternity. He gets to roam around a little bit, but his fate is sealed. Now watch this. It's all there, all these bad things. In heaven's perspective, I believe they will be flipped around to make a beautiful picture of God's amazing grace. We see them now only as tragedy from this side of eternity. From that side of eternity, we'll see the back side of them. So imagine if it was a picture wall of these collages hanging. I see it now, and it looks like a mess. I come to this other side, and now I can see that it's a beautiful picture of God's amazing grace. Can I hear an amen? And I could be here all day, and I don't mean to oversimplify it, but the will of God is not a mystery anymore. He has told us why things are happening the way that they are. Why will things get worse as we get more smart? We have more technology than we've ever had, but still people are dying, uh, you know, of starvation and these things. Because why? There's dictators, wicked people. There's wars over religion. This false religion, Islam, is causing devastation to the world. He, he had a demonic dream. I wrote about it in there. Uh, you know, you can read about that. All of the world's problems should be going away with all of our technology, all of our wisdom. But why do they persist? Because the Bible says man is rebellious and it will get worse until the end. It's a sign to you. It's literally a sign of the end time that you're like, why is there so many stupid people in the world? How, how many of you ever felt that way? God literally is speaking to you going, because they're dumb. They don't listen to me. I love them in their stupidity, but I can't love what stupidity is. He loves the sinner, hates the sin. Can I hear an amen? Working through this uh, introduction as fast as I can. Did my wife already leave? I might have a cold lunch today. I don't know what's going on. Quickly, here it is. This is five things we can know about the will of God, and then I'll close out here. We can know God's will through Jesus. So this is where you need to start with the spiritual things, right? So it's, I was created because God had a purpose for me. My ancestors made the wrong decision, but God is working through the evil. Does everybody get that? Now Jesus turns bad things into good. The next thing is that how we learn the general things of God is through the Word of God. The Word of God gives us the information that we apply to our lives. So how, do you want to be a uh, how to be a mother or father is a good question. Go to the Word of God. How to be married, uh, get married to begin with, how to live holy. All of these things are in the Word of God. So let's say you're a young person. You're like, man, Pastor, I don't know the will of God. I'll be like, do you have your Bible? And they'll be like, yeah. I'll be like, boop, there it is. Will of God, I'll tap you right on the head with it. Here it is. And then if there's somebody like, man, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend or boyfriend, and I don't know what God wants me to do, I'll get one of those big King James Bibles. And I'll be like, here's what he wants you to do. 
So think of it like this. The word of God is our basis for all general truth. It doesn't say in there, Joe, marry Nancy, but what does it say? Joe, if you find a wife, you find a good thing. Joe, this is how you live as a young man. This is how Nancy's supposed to live, right? So I learn all of those general things, and then through my personal experience, I what? I know, I understand, I practice wisdom. Everybody get it? It's not a mystery. Some may say it ain't a mystery. If I can get you that one thing to know, I've done my job today. Number three, God's will includes everything. From all that we do, from our civil servants, police officers, paramedics, you know, to our teachers, to the military, to moms, to dads, everything. God is not shocked that we're using technology to not, right now. You know, God knows how it works. God wants you to work it the best that you can. God wants you to for, forward human flourishing. And once again, I just want to put the distinctive here. If you say, well, I can do that and not believe in God, you're missing the purpose for why you're doing it to begin with. God gives us the reason to why we have families, happy homes, nice parks to play in. Otherwise, it's meaningless. Do you see that? If we don't have God, then why do we have parks? Why don't just be worker ants and just work all day? Why do you need a park, right? Why, why do you need to have just one wife, have ten wives? Why get married? Who cares about marriage? Why, why raise your children till they can take care of themselves? Why don't you throw them away whenever you're done with them? If you don't want them in the womb, why don't you make a decision round three and, not, and get done with them? And then while we're, at, while we're getting rid of stuff, why don't we get rid of the handicap? Literally, what purpose do they serve in evolution? Come on. Let's just get rid of them. And if we're hungry, we can eat them. You say, Pastor, you're disgusting. You're making me afraid. Well, I'm, I provoked your conscience. What, what just rose up in you when I talked foolishly? Your conscience. But there are people who say there's no God. Well, then give an explanation for those things. Now you have nothing. But those of us who are Christians, guess what? We have a reason to be nurses. We don't just kill our sick. We're caring for the image of God, the image bearers. We have reasons for parks because God gave us a day of rest. Amen? We have reasons to work from taxi cab drivers to, uh, you know, engineers, tool and die makers, to those who work in social services, to those who paint and do art. We have a reason for art and music, Right? All those things, think of it like this, filter through the will of God. You turn on your faucet. It doesn't just come from the, the ocean or wherever we're at here now, um, not the, the lake, or from underground. It goes through filters. It goes through all of these things. And then lastly, there's a little filter even on your sink. And how many of you are like real sophisticated? You have another filter there. You guys are like really awesome, right? You guys are my friends. We've had a filter in our refrigerator that we haven't changed since we've been there for like four years. And it keeps coming up saying, change me. And I just go, no, I don't want to change you. You're doing just fine. And then the other day I was smelling something in the water, and I'm like, eh, it's still not that bad yet. I'll wait a little bit. And Nancy said she didn't smell it, so I'm like, well, we're good. Whatever that is, whatever that is, we're fine. Next one, God will accomplish his will with or without us. So God has big picture stuff he wants to do. So we had a girl in our first service. Her name was Karina. She got ordained as a deacon. God had a wonderful plan for her, but her father left her. Her stepfather sexually abused her for four years, and her mother had to suffer through all of that and let her grandmother raise her. But Karina, with tears going down her eyes, says, God is good. His will is being accomplished. I'm a testimony of his grace. I've made it. 
See, God's will will be accomplished through those who want it to be. Remember Jesus, the perfect man, sets the example. Not my will, but your will be done. Not a contradiction between son and father, but between man and God. Jesus, as the son, always existed with the same will of the father, but when he took on flesh, he had to do in the garden what we were not willing to do in the garden of Eden, submit our will to the father's will. He showed humanity in submission so that now humanity can come back to God, and all of us choose the will of the Father through Jesus. Jesus, you did what I couldn't do. Forgive me for my past times of doing the wrong thing. Now I choose the will of the Father. Amen? And through that, we get to be a part of that wonderful plan. And then lastly, God's will is for you to know and love him. Now, I got these 10 things. I'm not going to go through them. But there are 10 things that uh, just describe the Bible as a summary to help you to discover the will of God for your life. Because literally, it is not mysterious what God is up to. Uh, just like I always say, there's nothing up my sleeve. Uh, I'm just a you know, straightforward pastor. You, know, you, you, know, you come, you see, you get what you see. Uh, it's the same way with God, obviously more so, because Jesus doesn't want to hide things from us. He doesn't want you to be confused about how to have your marriage in order or how to work and find joy in your job. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen those shows, Undercover Boss, but it shows us that even the guy, I was watching one where they had the porta-potties, and that's nasty, but the guy's hosing them down, and that's how they clean them because I never knew how they cleaned those things because I've been to some real dirty porta-potties before, and it just makes sense now, literally. They hose that whole thing down. This guy is whistling and singing while he's doing that. You know, now I don't know if he got smart and began to understand, like, hey, some dude with a mustache is walking around with me today with a camera. I might be on a show, so I better like what I'm doing, you know. But they say, you know, as I interviewed the other guys, they're like, no, that's the way he always is. He sings all the time. He, he's out there. He literally found joy in cleaning up people's waste because he knew there was a purpose for what he did. When he goes to work, he finds enjoyment for eight hours a day. The worst time of my life is when I didn't have a job for three months. And I know there's some men here that can relate to that. You just feel like, what, what am I doing? You know, I was made for more than this, you know. That's one of the reasons why I do two hours of cardio every day is because I have a desk job. And I'm like, I was not physically made for a desk job. I was made to be a lumberjack, man. Like, I was made to, like, cut stuff, break stuff, like, haul stuff, you know. Like, I was made to do that. But God said, no, this is what you will do all day. And so I'm like a little, like, uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex with my little arm. And I'm just, you know, pecking away. And then, like, sometimes I have to get out and stretch and be like, and you're like, oh, I feel sorry for you, pastor. No, not really. But, you know, that's my job. So then I go, I better get out and move my body because God gave us energy. You know, you can apply it to everything. How about the food that you eat? God gave us a body to enjoy food. We enjoy too much. It makes us sick. Tells us that it doesn't work that way. God, God gave us sexuality. I could keep you all day. Just let me give you a few before we close out. Sexuality is beautiful. That didn't come after the curse. He gave us to it and to enjoy, and we need to do it his way. Same-sex sex is not blessed sex because it's not the sex that God gave us to enjoy. God gave us to enjoy uh, heterosexual sex, uh, monogamy, one man, one woman for life. 
That's how he gave it to enjoy it. And you may say, well, in the Bible, sometimes they did polygamy, but it was never commanded by God, and he overlooked it, as well as he overlooked a bunch of other stupid things they were doing. But his law, his 613 holy laws, never said to, uh, to be polygamous. And now, you know, that's popular. They, they, they do polyamory. I was watching something on Facebook. One, uh, one man, three women. Now there's like two women, five guys. I mean, this stuff is just nasty. But to the sinner, sin is good. To the pig, mud is good. But to the clean, mud is bad. To the saint, sin is bad. Does everybody get that? And as you know the will of God, you'll discern what is clean and what is dirty. So take, for example, you don't have to stop today and be like, okay, I have black shoes and then I have gray shoes. What is the will of God for me to wear to church? Lord, I wait uponeth your presence to teacheth me your ways way this, you know, and it's like, I will put them on for your glory. Now, I know like my wife, she needs the help of the Holy Spirit to get ready every morning to, to, to where she at. I mean, you know, women, you come on, ladies. My wife yesterday, like all days, is telling me what she's going to wear today before. Should I wear this? Should I wear that? What do you think about this? That's our Saturday nights. I'm just being honest with you. And, and you know, you get to that point. It's good. This is good. Right there, that one. Wear that one, you know. So watch this. This is what the Bible says. The greatest mystery, the greatest mystery made known to humanity was when the Son of God took on flesh and died for our sins. If that huge mystery has been revealed to us, how much more so will he reveal the mysteries about who you're supposed to marry or what job you're supposed to have or what you're supposed to do in life. God knows it and he wants you to know it. Now here's the one thing that I want to say in closing, the last thing, is that there are future plans God may not let you know, but he'll let you know his will about the future plans, which is what? To give you hope and a future. Well, God, I want all the details. So imagine I'm 28 years old. Uh, I mean, excuse me, I'm 18 years old. I get saved. And God says, well, you're going to get married one day. And I know that's the will. I wasn't called to be single. How many of your happy pastors can marry? Amen? Because when they don't marry, they get themselves in a lot of disgusting trouble, right? It comes out one way or the other. God have mercy. But I'm so happy pastors get to marry. So I, got to, I get to marry. But what does God say to me? He says, you ain't ready yet, son. I'll talk to you a little bit later about that. Now, where do we make our biggest mistakes? Where we jump ahead of God. God, I think I'm ready. I want to date this one. I'm going to date this one. I, and I try to date all these girls. I went online, ChristianCafe.com, and God is like, slow down there, you stallion. You know, it's just... I'm telling you, and I mean this to the dudes, no pornography, no touching, hanging out with girls. I was like celibate. I am like a born-again virgin, okay? Ten years later, God says, you're getting close. And I'm like, oh, dear Lord, how much longer, Jesus? The Bible says a day is to the Lord like a thousand years, or a day is to the Lord like a thousand years to us. So God is just saying, the last time I talked to you was just like a couple seconds ago. What are you in such a hurry for, you know? And then here she comes, walking down the street, you know. So then there comes Nancy. And it's like, boom, ping, pow. Six months later, we're engaged. Three months later, we're married. Within eight months, will, eight months, will of God was accomplished that I was waiting for 10 years. Take that just as an example. Those of you who are not in your heads, I know you understand this. Take that as an example, right, of how things work with us in the future. 
I actually think it's better for us because he said, don't worry about the future. Excuse me, if God would have said to me when I was 18 years old, oh, here's a picture of her, but here's the deal. You're not going to get to marry her until you're 28. How many know I would have tried to make that happen? I would have been like, where is she? I would have been putting her up all over the Facebook. I would have tried to find her. So God is sparing you from the right thing at the wrong time because the right thing at the wrong time is still wrong. You need the right thing at the right time. And so here's the will of God for all future unknowns. Trust me, I got your back. Amen. Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Will you all um, just bow your head and pray with me as we ask the band and altar workers to come, please. Lord, the mystery of your will has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ. You've given me a short message, which I know I went a little bit longer, but still short, Lord, in comparison to the depth of what we need to know. So, Lord, I ask you in this moment of prayer that you would teach us to make time to learn about you, to know you, to understand you. That, Lord, each one of our hearts would be pricked to set aside time daily at a certain place or a certain way that we can hear your will for our lives. Lord, at at the moment I got saved, you began to talk to me through my prayer times. And still to this day, 20 years later, when I make time to pray, you speak to me. And Lord, I pray you do that for everyone here, even right now. While you're just praying, will you let the Lord speak to you about those precious times to begin to hear his will for your life? The way I want you to consider it is like God's your coach, and every day you're going to go to practice. And what are you going to practice the will of God. You're going to practice knowing it, understanding it, comprehending it, and putting it into your everyday life wisdom. And if you make mistakes, he'll never hold it against you. And whenever you ask for forgiveness, clarity, confirmation, or comfort, he'll be faithful to do so. Just the other day, I was going through a tough situation, and God confirmed it because he knows I needed that. If we're patient in the process, God will teach us through practice to perfect his perfect will for our lives. I know there's a lot of words in there, but I'm going to say it again, Romans 12, 1 through 2. If we're patient, if we're patient in the process, God will practice with us and to teach us his perfect will for our lives. If you're not born again right now, you can be born again by confessing Jesus as your Lord in a moment of prayer. You can confess your sins to him. Any Christians here want to do that, you can confess sins through this week, clear your conscience, have a fresh start. And now for those of us who understand those basics and want to lift up to the Lord a few things in our heart before we go, why don't you do that and say, Lord, I invite you to tell me your will for my life in these areas. I invite you into my marriage. I invite you into my parenting. I invite you into my, onto my job. I invite you into my finances. I invite you into my community. I want to know your will for my life. I want to know your will for my life. What God says, we believe. And when God speaks, we listen and obey. A few moments right now can change your life. For some of you, you may be contemplating divorce or an issue in your marriage. And God's word may be this simple. What I've joined together, no man can tear apart, including you and your spouse. Stick together, and I'll stick with you and put the glue there. Come on. 
Some of you with your children going through a hard time. God, they're not listening. I need help. I'm going to the school all the time, talking to the teachers. God may just say this to you. Raise them up in the way that they should uh, go and to know me. And when they get old, they won't depart. But, Lord, I've tried it. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for if you do not faint, you will reap a harvest. Don't give up. Keep doing. If you would have talked to my mother as she was raising me from about, what, 11 to 18, she would have had a lot of reasons to think the Bible wasn't working and maybe she was out of the will of God to keep praying and teaching me the things of God because I was so rebellious. But I gave my heart to the Lord at her kitchen table. Now those seven years are a foundation of my life of patience in the midst of evil because I watched my mother endure it. What happens when God's will hurts, Joe? What happens when he says, go through the valleys of life? What happens then? Well, when evil is allowed into our life, we first trust that it's Father filtered, and then we ask him for help to go through it. What did he say to David? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me, listen, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. First portion develops the trust, develops the love, develops the comfort. So you need to know that, God, before you go into problems. Too many people try to find God in problems. That's awesome. God loves you. He's there for you. But y'all need to learn how to build a relationship with God before problems. Because then, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, how did I get there? I'm just a sheep. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Oh, so though I walk on a path, he's leading me through evil, through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff are with me. Thou comforts me. Thy rod and thy staff are with me. God comforts through the valley of the shadow of death. Do we stay there? No. Because thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Why? Because I'm following the shepherd. Goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. All the days. Every day. Funeral days. Burial days. Sickness days. We prayed for a young lady that's going into brain surgery this week. Next week, uh, in two weeks, I believe, uh, uh, Albertina's going as well for cancer treatment. All the days of my life, all the days. And what's the end of the story? Where does this sheep go? To the barn? More hay? No. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you believe it, can I hear an Amen. I feel Jesus right now, man. I'm just going to dismiss you guys on that. Would you just do me a favor this week? Discover the will of God for you. Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus one more time. Slap your neighbor high five and say you got to get the will. Get the will of God for your life. Have a wonderful day. You're dismissed. Thank you for coming. We're going to pray if you would like to have us pray with you or worship. Either or, enjoy your day. God bless you. With your love, let him capture your heart today. There's no end to the depths of your love. Come on and worship and pray if you've got.